Can you guys hear me now? Can you hear me now? Oh, you can hear me. Works now? Great. Okay. All right, guys. Sorry about that. You know, I actually, I had this headset on, then I switched to my microphone, and that's what I told YouTube to use my microphone, this guy, but apparently it wasn't smart enough to know that. I don't know. It's weird. Sometimes YouTube glitches like that. I selected the my my microphone. You know, maybe I didn't select the right one. Maybe I shouldn't blame it on them. Anyway, all right, we're all set, guys. So <laughs> I, I shared so much cool information with you guys uh, during the stream. So um, we'll have to go back. I wonder if I can go back and edit the live stream to cut out that part where you guys couldn't hear me. Anyway, I'll talk to our IT guy and see if we can fix that for the, the replay. Um, so my name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. You guys have some great questions. So I'll just kind of say some of the same stuff I said before when my mic wasn't working. Um, and I always, you know, you guys showed up early, so you're gonna get your questions answered, but I go a whole entire hour and I can never get to everybody's questions. So the earlier you ask it, the more likely I can answer it. And then if you're showing up later, um, obviously if you show up earlier, I can usually get to the questions. So we've been coaching inventory inventors for the last 23 years. We've had students in over 65 countries. And one of the things I was saying is, are we like wizards that so many of our students license products? Do we just have the, the magic key or something? I, I don't think so. I think that we guide people to do very common sense things that works. What we guide people to do works. And what most inventors do does not work. And people make a lot of false assumptions about how to do licensing. And some of them are just so certain it's the right thing to do. And, you know, we've been doing this 23 years. And sometimes I'll ask people, like, why do you think that's the right thing? Well, because this, this, this. And I'm like, uh, yeah, but that's not true. <laughs> and it's like, so we make sure people do, do things right. I don't think anything we share is rocket science. But it is a proven formula for success. If you do the things that we guide you to do, like we guide our students to do, um, you know, you're, you're going to dramatically increase your chances of success. Will it ensure that you'll license every single product you ever work on? Of course not, but it'll ensure you're doing everything right so you have the highest chance of success. So I think the, t the theme for today is basically when I answer all your guys' questions, I'm going to... Um, kind of talk about how, why I think some people assume that's the, the, the mistakes they're making, why they're going down the wrong path. I'll try to infuse that a little bit into answering your guys' questions. So um, let me just get back to Desiree um, saying all is good now. Desiree is one of our customer service managers. She was the one that alerted me that I my audio wasn't working. So because um, I was seeing the, all the great questions at the top, but I wasn't paging down. Okay, let's jump in. Here we go. Andrew will stop talking about random stuff. Um, I was going to use a swear word, but I won't do that. Uh, Holy cab is their handle. Hi, Andrew. If a product is licensed with a PPA in place, and in the course of the agreement, the filed non-provisional patent is rejected by the patent office, what happens next? So that should never, ever, ever happen. So if you file a provisional patent application and part of that, some companies will pay you regardless. They don't care if a patent issues, doesn't issue, whatever. 
and the grant of license if it's not dependent on a patent, which is always the way we try to go with our students, but quite often companies will sometimes insist that it is dependent on the patent in one way, shape, or form. But even if it is, you can always 100% get a patent on any product, okay? Now, don't leave here. Anything I share with you today is not legal advice. Any attorney would agree with me on this, but I'm going to qualify that statement, okay? When you get a patent on something, you're not getting a patent on whatever the product is, eyeglasses, whatever, whatever it is, okay? A cool, cool charger, whatever it is. You're not patenting the product. You're patenting utility and functionality of pieces of it, okay? So people have this weird-ass impression. This is a common misperception people have about patents. I got a patent, therefore I'm protected. No, that's not true. So there's weak patents and there's strong patents, okay? So the way I like to say it in layman terms, not in patent terms, so any patent attorneys on there, don't judge me. I'm trying to explain it in a way so everybody can understand. You're not patenting your invention. You're patenting certain pieces of it or functionality and utility of, like the hinge goes this way and it performs this functionality. That's what you're protecting. Now, if there's 10 other ways to do that hinge that you're not protecting, that patent is for that piece of that patent is useless, right? But people have this lack of understanding of patents, and this is on a big picture level. I got a patent, therefore it's protected. Nobody can touch me. Bullshit. That's so not true. You know, so many patents are weak to garbage, and you can work right around them. Then people go, oh, well, Andrew, then people can work around me. I'm like, no, that won't be you. Think about the variations, workarounds, improvements. So when people, when I, I see our students that sometimes go, I'm really concerned about this. And I'm like, well, read through the claims and they'll realize a good portion of the time that is a weak patent. They can get right around it. Now, if you think about all the variations, work around improvements, people can't get around you. Okay. Or at least hopefully not, or it'll be really hard or the product just won't be as good. Okay. So now let's get back to Holy Cabs. Um, that's their handle. Um, question. You filed a provisional patent. You did a licensing deal. The patent office says, we're not going to give you a patent. Now, this is going to expand on this thought. If you file a utility patent, you're trying to get these really cool claims that are going to really protect it, but you throw some really ridiculously weak claims in there, you will always get a patent. Will it be a strong patent? No, if you only get those weak claims and not the strong claims, but you will always get a patent. You could, if you, If you're so specific, you know, and this isn't what you write in a patent, but if you say, this is an example, if it's a purple pencil with pink polka dots, exactly 2.5 millimeters in diameter, and that's not the way you would patent something, and you make a 2.6 millimeters in diameter, that, that claim is useless. But they will give it to you, and you will get, and that's not the type of claim you would write. You wouldn't write a claim like that. You don't write a claim on colors or things like that, but I'm just using that as an example. If you throw a few weak claims in there and tell your attorney, I want to make sure I get a patent, even if I don't get these strong claims, I want to at least get one weak claim so I can still say patented. Okay. So if you did, so what the scenario, which is a great question, holy cabs, like, hey, I'm filing a provisional patent for 60 bucks. I got to deal with the company. Company gave me the money, preferably to then pay my attorney to file a full utility patent. I'm going to reference the provisional. And then the company starts to sell it, right? And let's say it takes a patent office a year and a half to get back to you. 
And patent office gets back a year and a half. And like, well, I'm not going to give you this claim, this claim, this claim. But if you had a few weak claims in there, but we'll give you these two. And they're, they're even thinking like, well, that's not going to protect you much. And you're like, well, that's not going to protect me much and get the ones I want. But you will, they will give you a patent. So this perception that if you get a patent, you're protected. If you don't get a patent, you're not. That's ridiculous. That's, that's kindergarten thinking. Okay. That's like not understanding how patents work. So, but in a very practical way, patenters won't tell you this because they don't know how to license stuff and they're not thinking this way. You can always get a patent. Okay. And you should always. So if you get into a licensing deal, you have a provisional patent. This is higher level stuff, but this is good stuff. You should always ask your attorney to throw some weak claims in there that you're guaranteed to get in addition to the strong claims. So you can say, I want to be able to get a patent regardless. So then I don't have to tell my licensee, um, the inventors, the licensor, the company licensee's licensee, that I couldn't get a patent. You can always say, I got a patent. And so sometimes, this is funny, the company will go, well, we're not going to pay you if you don't get a patent. And the, they, the, the inventor comes back to our negotiation coach or I've handled many of those calls and says, well, Andrew, they're not going to pay me if I don't get a patent. I'm like, that's not a problem. Throw some weak claims in there. You'll, you're guaranteed to get a patent and then you'll fulfill the contractual obligation they put on you. And they didn't say if you don't get this claim or that claim, you're fine. So that, sorry, I went off really detail there, but stuff like this people worry about and there's always an approach and we ha always have an approach not most people don't but we do and it's coming from a common sense standpoint not an attorney standpoint a common sense getting deals done doing business earning royalties kind of standpoint um holy cab said so that, that was a good example of me um illustrating common misperceptions about patents i'm going to answer your guys's questions today but i'm going to answer your common misperceptions that people have about patents so I can break that down. And pe when people have like 10, 20, 30, 40 of these common misperceptions, you're just doing everything wrong and it's no wonder why you're not successful. You know, and there's all sorts of shit you're worried about where there's easy solutions for. Um, that was kind of a more advanced kind of solution to an uncommon problem, really. But, um, but it is, it can be a problem. Holy cow, the other one is a company asked me, what is your estimate of the market potential in units? How do I answer this? Is there a formula? Thanks. Um, no, there's no formula. How could you estimate? You know, and some people go, and this is a, so this is a common misperception. A common, this is how inventors misspeak. Well, and they asked, holy cow, they asked this person, what do you think the potential is for this? That's not really a good sign if you ask me, but um, cause they don't normally ask that. Sometimes people think like you want the mark, you want to have a good ass marketing piece. All right. You want them to look at it and go, Oh, if our customers saw this, they would want it. That's the reaction you want when they're asking you, what do you think the potential is in this? And you go, well, there's some market you can sell to these people and these people and those people and blah, blah. Okay. That's fine. Maybe they weren't thinking about it. Maybe that's all they're asking, but you want them to look at it and go, oh, geez, yeah, that has a really great benefit. If our customers saw this advertisement you created for me, which is really for them, they would want to buy it. You want them to feel like that. And if they're asking these questions, what do you think is the market potential in units? Like, do they not have a good read on that themselves? They should be going with their gut. You know, there's no way to calculate those numbers. Now, here's a big misperception and a stupid thing that you guys should never do. And inventors do this. Well, 
this market's like this. If we only get 1% of the market, we'll both make millions. Never freaking say that. It makes you look so freaking stupid. Don't ever do that. Don't ever say, if we only get 1% of the market or the market's this big, don't. They're marketing people in this industry. If they don't know their market, you're licensing to the wrong people, okay? Now, if if you see the types of customers they sell to and you're like, oh, we could do a version over here, we could do this over there, and you, you wanna you know explain why you believe there's a market, you could illustrate other products in the marketplace, go, well, that company's selling that and that, and I think you have a good point of difference with my product here. If you wanna illustrate those things to them, but I'm a little concerned that you have to do that. It's not something you normally have to have a discussion about that. I think it's a good discussion to have, and they might be just wanting to get your thoughts and they already feel kind of good about it. And you should share that information, what else is selling out there. But I got this variation I got this. Look, there's five companies selling this kind of similar, but mine's a little different like this. And so therefore I believe there's a market. If you want to say stuff like that, great. But I'm a little concerned that a marketing manager or company doesn't already know that. You know, maybe they do. Maybe they just want your take. So keep moving forward with them. I think that's fantastic. Um, all right. Uh, Johnny, Johnny Interesting is their handle. Hey, yeah, uh, any ideas on how chat GP, GPT uh, could help me with doing a patent search or similar useful things in licensing? Yeah, we are fascinated with chat GPT and all the things it could p potentially do as far as making a prototype. It's crazy. Um, uh, helping you write some marketing copy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think that has yet to play out some of it. Um, a patent search, you know, I, I think that, first of all, one of the things, again, we're going to do this theme today, common misperceptions, okay? A common misperception is you come up with an idea, and the first thing you're supposed to do is a patent search. You should never, ever make the first thing you do a patent search. And there are companies, invention promotion companies and patent attorneys that will play on this misperception that the first thing you do is a patent search and they'll play on your emotions and your illogical thinking to get what they want out of you, which was a, for a patent attorney to sign you up with a full patent or an invention promotion company to sign you up with their invention promotion services, of which I have never met an inventor in 23 years of a new event, right, that had an invention promotion company license a product. Um, our students license stuff all the time because they're freaking doing the work, but invention promotion companies, in my experience, don't, and that's why they don't have any success. I'm not speaking about any company in particular, but the fact that I've never seen an invention promotion company in 23 years, uh, I've never talked to a student of ours or an inventor that was interested in our program that's ever licensed anything that way, um, but we talk to people every other day or so or every day that's been taken for 10 or 12 grand with no results whatsoever. So why is a patent search not the first thing to do? A market search, because a market search, if you're on Google Images, if you're on Google Shopping, if you're on Amazon, if it's a, if it's a consumer product, Google Images is better for commercial or industrial products and consumer products. Google Shopping is nice too. Um, you're looking at the marketplace and you're going, how does my, and you're not trying to prove nothing like your product exists. You're trying to study, oh, there's these, these products here, these products here. Let's say you're doing kitchen cutting board. You need to know the space of kitchen cutting boards, okay? And people don't do that. But here's how they prey upon you, patent attorneys and invention promotion companies. The, you have the misperception that a patent search is the first thing to do. And that if the patent search comes back clean, first of all, the patent searches are half-assed most of the time. 
Um, but if they come back clean, that in your mind, subconsciously or consciously, that validates it's a good idea. It doesn't validate shit. All it validates is, <laughs> is it, the fact that there are any other conflicting patents. First of all, they don't do a full-on search most of the time. So they're catering to your misbelief that if there's no other patents out there, that it makes sense. It doesn't mean that your product is manufacturable or manufacturable reasonable price or that people even want that product. But invention promotion companies and patent attorneys, not all of them, there's plenty of good patent attorneys. I know some good ones will cater on this misbelief if the patent search is clean or the perception is clean, that therefore you should work on the product. Hell no. The market search verifies that. You're studying Google Images, you're studying Google Shopping, you're studying Amazon, and you're going, here's the space of my micro category of my product. For the kitchen cutting board, you know all the kitchen cutting boards. So barbecue spatula, you know all the barbecue spatulas. Does it make sense? Do I need to maybe tweak things? Because what is or isn't in the marketplace tells you everything. It tells you what's selling in the marketplace right now, what's currently working, and all the features and benefits. Patent search doesn't tell you any of that. Just means that somebody threw a bunch of money at an attorney, thought it was a good idea. Doesn't mean it makes sense. Doesn't mean the features and benefits of it make sense. Doesn't mean it's manufacturable or reasonable price. Doesn't mean any of that. But patent attorneys and invention promotion companies, some patent attorneys, not all, will take advantage of your misperception that a clean patent search means the product makes sense. It doesn't mean that at all. Okay. So today our theme is like answering the questions that are in the chat here, but going, what are these common misperceptions that inventors have? And let's fix that mindset. So thank you. Um, that was from, uh, well, that was from Johnny. So I, I just went off on a tangent there. He was saying, could we use chat GBT? And if you guys don't know what that is, look it up. But um, this artificial intelligence to do a patent search, I don't know. Um, we're looking at a lot of different applications for it right now, but I, I would say what I'm more interested in, can use it to do a market search, but really there's some very easy techniques to do that from scratch because chat GBT will miss stuff. You can't miss anything with your market search. You can't, but yes, I think you could probably utilize it to kind of start to do a market search. I, we're going to play around with that. Thanks for kind of planting that seed. Um, but we're looking at it for a lot of different things. But I think it could get you in a lot of trouble. For instance, we looked up, we did some things with ChatGBT about licensing, and we're experts at licensing. I'm not experts at a lot of things, but at licensing I am. And some of the information came back about patents and licensing. I'm like, uh, that's not right. That's like, whoa. If I was a rookie looking at that, I would be getting some serious misinformation. Now, but then other parts of what it pooped back to us, because you, you say something and then it sends it back to you. It was like, whoa, that's really good. That's really amazing. But then parts of it were like really off. And I was like, whoa, that would really mess somebody up. So I'm really concerned about the way inventors will use this and um, or not use it. But it is very exciting. Uh, and ChatGBT for you, is, you have to be like living under a rock, not have heard of it, but it's this new artificial intelligence that can do all sorts of stuff for you. And it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, Veronica said, is there too much to do when presenting a pitch to a potential licensee just to sell it to them? Like packaging concepts and PDQ display, Photoshopped and retail store layout. Uh, Okay. Yeah, you don't. So, okay. You, so what she's asking is,
basically, do I need to do packaging concepts and it, Photoshop it into a, a, a store display? No, I would say 99% of our students don't do that. Um, you know, when you're making a sell sheet, we do virtual prototypes for our students. You show them what the product is. You do not need to show the packaging. There are some products where the actual product is the packaging if you're a packaging inventor and you're inventing new packaging. But no, you do not need to do that. Um, when, but when, you know, when you're making a sell sheet and you've got the picture of the product, you got it in some context with the background maybe, and then you got the right marketing, that almost is the packaging. Like when you make a one page eight and a half by 11 sell sheet PDF that you email, the package would look something like that. So, um, but you don't have to do the actual packaging itself. Sometimes that can look really cheesy. God, no, that's just too much freaking work. It's not necessary. But the sell sheet kind of is what the packaging would look like, what the marketing pieces are, what the benefits are, but you definitely don't do the uh, need to do the actual packaging. Um, uh, Pete said, hey, Andrew, what would be a good subject in your initial email to a potential licensee? Thanks for the taking the time to do this each week. Um, so first off, the way that we approach um, potential licensees and marketing people within companies or whoever else you're reaching out to a company is one, ask permission. You don't blindly send your marketing piece. That's a big no-no. Do not do that. I, had, I, I remember talking to this inventor. They were not a student of ours. And they did that and they sent it to the CEO of this company. And, that, and this is very rare. But this, this CEO got really pissed. He's like, I didn't say you could send this to me. You didn't ask me permission. Now you're putting me in a difficult position because you sent me your product. You sent me this confidential information. I did not agree to this. That was like, that's like a, an anomaly that I would see somebody get so pissed. But this one CEO got really pissed with this inventor. This was not one of our students. You always want to ask permission, okay? And then you send your sell sheet. So when you ask permission, you know, you're like, you, I have a product that I want to license to your company. And, and I believe it would be a right match. I looked at your product line. That's always, they love that. I believe it would be a lot right match for your product line. If you just kind of make it so general, um, then they're like, I don't know, what do you, is this person wanting to, like, this is a big business, right? And they get this impression sometimes from some inventors that aren't clear, like they want to start be a partner and start a business with us. Like they're not going to do that, you know, but you know, licensing to them is a sort of partnership, but basically, you know, you, you get a small royalty every time they're selling unit, you get a small royalty, you know? Um, so, uh, always ask permission and then send your sell sheet after you got permission to send it. Never blindly email your stuff and don't publicly post it all over your LinkedIn profile or something like that. That's very unprofessional. Don't do that. Unless you've been venturing it and selling it yourself and now you're looking to license it. There's always exceptions to these things. So when, whenever Steven or myself get on our YouTube shows and we say something, don't think that 100% when we say things, it's applicable. But usually most of the stuff we say is applicable at least 90% of the time. Um, we've had a few instances, which I think is really cool. I love that people have confidence in us as the co-founders. But I've had a few students, that people that were fans of ours, just like you guys, watching the show. And then they got a coach and they're working with one of our coaches and the coach will say, you know, no, this is what you need to do for your particular product. And they, and they're, this is only, this hadn't happened that many times, but enough where I've, I've seen it 
And they'll argue with their coach. No, no, no. But Andrew said on a YouTube show, this and this. And the coach is like, yeah, I know it's on a YouTube show, but he didn't see your product. I'm looking at your product and I can tell you if this is the right thing to do. And there's been a few, and most students are like, oh, okay. But we got a few that are like, no, no, I, I need to talk to Andrew. And they're like, okay. And then I get on with the student. I'm like, your coach is right. 90% of the time, that is the right thing to do. But for your particular product, what your coach told you is spot on. So, but I just, it's nice that they're so confident. You know, it's kind of tough for the coach. We, we don't, we don't have that happen very often at all. And it's perfectly fine if somebody needs that sort of assurance, like they want to double check with me in addition to their coach because they're uncertain. Great. Um, but I, I, it's just kind of funny. Um, sometimes that happens. Uh, let's see. Um, so Pete, I would say, you know, just subject line, you know, uh, potential product for license to, to license, or I'm looking to license this product to you. I would use the word licensing. Most marketing managers that are at least mildly sophisticated will know what licensing is. Sometimes you get somebody that like, they're really sharp, but they just don't understand the whole concept. It's a company. They just haven't done it before, but most of them do. Um, Matt Miller said, hi, Andrew, if a company asks you to wait three weeks for them to reply back to your submission, you get a phone call. Sounds like the guy, but the phone drops. Do I call and find out what was that guy or wait for the three weeks? Well, that's weird. <laughs> um, well, you got the phone call, so you have the phone number. Um, so look up that phone number and see if it came from that company. Um, so they said, wait three weeks. It, it says that you wait three weeks for them to reply back to your submission. You get, you got a phone call, sounded like the guy, and then the call drops. Yeah, freaking call them back. Absolutely. You know, yeah, look at, look up the phone number, make sure it was them. I mean, you said it sounded like the guy. You have the number on your caller ID. Do a reverse lookup and see if it, that was him. And then just call the number. Just say I was checking back with you. I got a call and, you know, that's fine. Yeah, that's what I would do. That's never got that question before. It's always a new one out there. Um, joyful, eclectic woman is their handle. I love the handle. A lot of your videos talk about solving a problem and offering a solution. But if you have a game or toy idea, what's the benefit beyond fun and enjoyment? Do you list that on your sell sheet? So yeah, that's that's a challenge. So it is a little harder depending on the toy or game. You're not selling like a clear benefit. You're, the benefit is fun. So you have to show that fun. You have to show that engagement, whether that's through a video or a picture showing a kid interacting with the game. So um, you're selling fun, you know, and look at other products for games and toys, see how they're marketed. That'll guide you as to what to do. But it's a little different. You know, you're selling fun. You're not selling a, this clear benefit. Hey, it'll help you um, prepare vegetables in half the time, you know, for food prep or something. That's like a really clear benefit. You don't have that with toys, but you're, you're illustrating and showing the fun. And that could be a picture. That can be through words. That can be through a video. That can be, but you're right. And some toys, that's actually really easy. And sometimes it's toys that's a little harder. So you're, you're absolutely right. Um, um, Dave said, Dave Church, I file for a copyright or plan to. What would 
I put at the bottom of my sell sheet. Um, yeah, you just put the little C, copyrighted in the date. And you know, you by you don't have to file a copyright to get it. You can just put the circle and the date next to it, and things are automatically copyrighted if you just claim they are. But if you want some additional documentation, you can file it with the Library of Congress. I think in most cases that doesn't make sense and it's not necessary, but if it makes you more comfortable, go for it. So the Patent Office is the Patent and Trademark Office, Patent and Trademarks, um, USPTO, United States Patent and Trademark Office. That's what it stands for. Copyrights are handled by the Library of Congress, okay? That's who handles copyrights. So if you had rules for a game, um, Joyful elect Eclectic Woman said, you know, you could just put copyright on it. It's automatically copyrighted. Now she wants to because she can file it Library of Commerce. Um, and, you know, it's additional documentation. Have you ever had anybody ever need to use that? No, never. Um, but I'd say when you're early, whatever makes you comfortable, providing you're not blowing tons of money with patent attorneys or prototypers, go for it. You know, if you spend a few bucks and it makes you a little more comfortable, then later you probably won't be doing it. Um, but in some instances, it makes sense. Um, Joyful Eclectic Woman said also, have you had any of your students have success with Hasbro Spark? Hasbro Spark program is more for like newbies, um, you know, uh, green new inventors. And they have a whole separate portal for for pro inventors or people that they've made relationships with. And they kind of put you in that category. I would never rely on a portal of any kind for any company in any industry as the sole method of licensing a product. We've had many companies tell us, look, we have a portal on our site, but we never license from it. Or we, you know, so, but I don't want to make that blanket statement. If you want to submit on a portal, I think that's fine. But God, if you're just doing that, that's amateur hour. Don't do that. You need to reach out to companies via email, via LinkedIn, via the phone. In addition to that, I don't see any harm in doing that, plus reaching out another way. And if you reach out other ways, they'll usually put you in that pro inventor category. We're talking with uh, Hasbro right now about doing some sort of program with them and being kind of a direct connect or whatever, or I guess it's not direct if they would go through us, but we're talking about doing something with them. The Steven's been in those conversations. I haven't been jumping on those because we kind of try to divide and conquer. But yeah, if you guys are only submitting to companies' portals, um, if that's just the way you want to get going for a couple weeks, but if you keep doing that, expecting results, you won't find them. I'm not saying an inventor won't license once in a blue moon from a company's portal, but go around. Go to a marketing manager directly on LinkedIn or something. Do that. Uh, Tony said, thank you, Andrew, yet again. You're much appreciated. You're welcome, Tony. Um, uh, Frank said, hi, are there many people successful licensing to military companies? God bless your work, Andrew. Thank you. Um, so a lot of people get confused on that. So just like you don't license to Walmart, right? You license to the companies that sell to Walmart, right? Same thing with the military. You don't license to the military. There's always exceptions. You license to military, military contractors that sell to the military. So let's say, and it could be a wide range from simple products to very complex products. Let's say this new unique canteen, drinking water canteen, or it's a drinking pouch system or something. And you notice that there's five company, major companies that sell products like that to the military. Well, you license to them. 
and now the military is buying it from them. Just like you license to a company that's selling at Walmart, now Walmart's buying it from them. It's just that simple. So it's definitely doable um, without a doubt that's that's doable but you have to take a look at it there a little bit more work a little not quite as clear that a, a standard consumer industrial product yeah you need to know how to dig up those companies that are contractors but they're all advertising it kind of at that they're selling to the military so that really shouldn't be that hard um uh the next person there handles the good doctor hey andrew um thanks for all the help i patented a pain-free crutches several years ago still having some issues with the fact that most manu are manufactured overseas and sold by medical suppliers well it doesn't matter that they're manufactured overseas if there are american or european or canadian companies that are getting made overseas and the company's marketing it and then selling it at the medical supply houses and the hospitals that's fine i don't see that as an issue um so I think there's plenty of medical companies. I think it's a good area to be in. Uh, you may just be going about it the wrong way. Um, you know, uh, you're not going to go to a Chinese crutch manufacturer unless they have distribution at retail. Now, usually it's an American company that is marketing it and they're getting it made in China, but you license that to that American company. So that's usually how that works. Um, now I see all the, the comments from earlier that you guys couldn't hear me. Everybody pretty much stuck, stuck around, so thank you. That we were a vote of confidence that Andrew would get the audio working. Um, okay. I'll go back to the recording, too, and see if we can edit it. But I don't know if you can edit and cut it after the fact. I'll ask our tech guy once I get off here. Um, let's see. Just skipped up too much. Derek said, have you ever had a product take longer just because it was more complex for the company to manufacture? Hell yeah. <laughs> um, it'll take a company longer to launch a product if the if there's more in, more involved for them. But that's okay. You licensed it. They're working on it. You're going to work on other products in the meantime, and that's okay. Um, but sometimes a company, it's a simple product and for whatever reason, internally, big company, lots of people, Sally was on vacation. Then this manufacturing guy got laid, left the company or whatever, or, oh, we launched, they've got four other new products ahead of you in, in the row. And it wasn't a complex product, but geez, why it took them a little longer to launch that, you know? Took them a year and a half as opposed to a year or 10 months or something like that. Um, the thought that you're going to license a product and two weeks later it's going to show up on the shelf, that is an incorrect thought. So that's the theme today. What are these common incorrect thoughts that inventors have? Now, is that a problem? Hell no, that's not a problem. You license it to a company and let's say 10 months later, 14 months later, it hits the shelves because they got to do all this manufacturing stuff. They got to go overseas. They got to get there and then it's got to come over on the boat and then it's got to get in the stores. They got to prep their salespeople. There's stuff that needs to get done. And because it's a big ass company you license to, they're doing things on a big scale. It's not like they're manufacturing 10 and they're getting it to market. Like I see some inventors do. And oh, I could get it to market quickly. I'm like, yeah, and then sell all of nothing. You know, but they're selling God knows how much. Um, not only that, 
there's sometimes, I mean, sometimes the first quarter, it's not going to sell as much. It takes a little while to start ramp up. So I wouldn't look at the first quarter sales and go, oh, this is a red flag. It, it takes a while for the salespeople to get entrenched with the, um, with the buyers at different stores and stuff and start to sell more. Product don't go like through the roof overnight usually. Um, but I don't see that really being as, a, as an issue. So it can take longer. Typically, it will take longer if the comp, comp, the product is more complex to manufacture. But thank God they're doing that. You don't have to. Oh, my God. Some of the stuff that they need to do to get a product up and running and for them to do all that work and you not have to worry about it. But stay involved. So if they say there's an issue and you're coming at it from a different angle, maybe you have a solution. Um, but usually they can figure that stuff out. But also... It's not just more complex products, the point I was trying to make, that take longer to launch. Maybe they just got a, a backlog of new products to launch or whatever other internal issues they're having. But in the meantime, you've gone off and worked on licensing more products so that you're not just sitting there waiting, waiting patiently. Like You're just letting them do their thing and you're checking in once in a while to see if there's some issue and you've moved on to license more products and that's just part of the process. Um, uh, Richard Johnson said, if you had a product, let's say Band-Aids, well, that's a terrible example. I'll explain why in a second, but let's get the rest of the question. And your product comes in different sizes, but they each have the same function. Do you market the set or do you market each one individually? Okay. Well, the reason why I say Band-Aids is a terrible example, which is a side tangent note. You know, I mean, think about it, guys. They sell bazillions of Band-Aids. That's a seriously, insanely high volume product. Um, so, but anyway, that's just a side note. So I can't answer that question. You say, do you market the set or do you market each one individually? I think you have to take a look at what the industry is doing. Now, you're an innovator, so you might suggest something different than what the industry is doing. And because of your new innovation, marketing it a little different or packaging it a little different might make sense. So you might give them those suggestions but then they're ultimately going to figure it out. So without knowing your particular product, um, I could give you my opinion, but if the guy that wants to license it at a company is going, no, we want to do it this way, I'd say go with what he wants to do because that's getting you a deal, even if he might be wrong or right, but he's probably going to be right. So that's going to completely depend on the product. Should it be a three-pack? Should it be a one? You know, It should always be based on what's in the marketplace. Usually those types of decisions are not going to be yours. And you can have discussions with them, but they're probably going to decide that. But, you know, you want to know how the royalties are set up. So you need to know that. And those are conversations you're going to have with them. But I can't answer that question, Richard, without knowing um, your particular product, which you should not publicly disclose, obviously, on this forum. Um, so, you know, just a discussion you want to have with them. One thing that you need to do is do your market research and the way you present it in your marketing materials to them put your best foot forward on what you think the guess is. Now, to show three different variations, oh, it could be a one pack or a three pack or a two pack or like having 10 variations in there, whoa. Okay, so you might pick one, that's the big picture, and then you got a smaller piece and you, you're gonna say, oh, but it could be coming a three pack two or something, if it's relevant. I don't think normally with most products it's really that relevant and they'll be like, oh, we wanna you know, put it in a three pack and let it be their idea. So. But if it is important to the product, you might suggest as to how it's marketed, you know, and at most you'll have two options, usually one option, but you're not giving them 10 options. 
that's overwhelming. And it's probably a detail that's unimportant. They're either intrigued by the benefit of the product or they're not. Um, it's probably not a detail that's going to make or break whether or not they get back to you showing interest. But it depends on the product, you know. Um, Freddie says, uh, if you had a smaller prototype of a product, can you sell it in the original size? If you had a smaller product, yeah, of course you can. I mean, um, so quite often a prototype, you know, you know that they can make it, but you're just not having a hard time making it perfectly fine. You know, and you just look at similar things and go, oh, I know they can make it. I'm just struggling with making the prototype. Of course you can. You can do whatever makes sense to them, whatever is manufacturable and manufacturable reasonable price and what people are going to buy, you know. Um, yesterday's news tomorrow is their handle. Um, AK, I am uh, completely broken. I cannot break into professional sports. Okay. Um, cannot break into professional sports. Well, here, here's the question. I don't know. Are you trying to get a hold of famous sports people? Sometimes I, I, I feel like people think they need this super famous football star or baseball star or basketball star to endorse a product. Um, you know, I, I don't know why, you know, when, think about it. And I don't know your product, but when you sell products, how many products are for professional sports players? They aren't. I mean, the vast, vast majority of, of uh, sports products are for the masses, right? That's where the money is, not the professional sports. Not if there's some special headset that only football coaches wear and only so many football coaches have it. I mean, okay, if that's your product, that's your product. But usually... Usually the the sports inventions are not for professional football players. They're for high school football players or other football players. So I'm very curious and do not disclose what your product is. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I would need more information to answer that. Uh, looking for answers is their handle. Can you? Well, then you're in the right place, man. Um, can you license with one company and still license with another company? Two, or do you have to say with the one company you signed a contract with to collect royalties, can you license to multiple companies? Okay. And again, the theme today is common misperceptions about the process. And so I'm answering questions and then I'm giving you the common misperceptions and also answering the question. The common misperception in this area is, oh, well, I'm going to license this around the world or I'm going to license it to five companies because I'm going to make more money that way. That's not really the way it works, okay? If you license to one, and I'm just going to swear a little bit, just get your guys' attention. If you license to one big-ass company, let's say it's a hardware-related item or something. Um, let's say it's a shelving system, okay? And this thing's going to be selling at Walmart and Target and Home Depot and Lowe's and God knows where else, okay? You should be, and you and you license it to a big, a big-ass company. I'm going to use the word ass there, just get your attention. A big-ass company. You should be pretty freaking happy with that. Why do you think you're going to license it to two companies that are selling the exact same shelf in Home Depot? That doesn't make any sense. You're not giving one company an advantage over another. Doesn't make sense. Never going to happen. Okay. Now, it might happen in some isolated instance. Now, let's break it out. You can do multiple licensing deals with some products. So you can break out licensing geographically. Let's say you do a deal with a company that only sells in the U.S. and Canada. Why would you give them worldwide? 
Well, if you give them U.S. and Canada, you could still license to a European company. Okay, all right. Um, so that's geographic, right? What if there's another version of the product? You're going to license them the uh, 39.95 version at that price, but there's another version you could do for 9.95. But it, it's kind of like a little bit different, and one's not going to step on each other's toes, and you'd be selling it in a different place, and it would have a different perception of it. Okay. Why not? As long as they're not stepping on each other's toes, then you, maybe you could do a different version of it or a different distribution channel. So you got geography, you got distribution channel, and you have a different version of the product. I've had students where I'm like, oh, this is like three products for three different industries, you know? And I'm like, yeah, that makes total sense. You could do a deal here, do a deal here, do a deal here. So when you do a deal with one company, you give them that market or geography or distribution channel, and you have the rights to license it elsewhere, either the different version or the exact same version or a lower price version. You can absolutely do that. But this thought that when you license to, in my statement, a big ass company, that that's not enough, don't be freaking greedy, you know, but also don't give them stuff they're not going to do. Sometimes they'll ask for it anyway. And that's, we help our students negotiate that. Um, so you can absolutely license to multiple companies. Um, I would say the vast majority of our students are not doing that, nor does it make sense for their product. But some of you have products where it makes sense. But this desperate thing and like, I got to make it make sense so I can license this around the world to 50 companies. That's not how it works, guys. Um, but does it make sense sometimes? Absolutely, it does. But don't be greedy. Licensing, I, this is the way I look at it. And this is a statement I've made many times. You can have delusions of grandeur when you're licensing. And you're not delusional because that big company can do 50,000, half million units a year, whatever's appropriate for that product. And that's what normal for them. For you to do that yourself and to float half a million, a million dollars in cash flow and all these issues and retailers not going to talk to you because you're a one product company, but they'll talk to this big ass company you license to. That makes sense. You can, you can think big when you're licensing, but think you're going to license to their competitor that sells on the same shelf. Come on, have some common sense, you know? So that's a common misperception that people see as a problem. It's not a problem. It's just reality. Um, but it all depends on your situation. Uh, huh. Is there a good chance to make good money by licensing to a company that has 9,000 products? Absolutely. We had one of our coaches license a wrench to a company that has over 10,000 products. Absolutely. I mean, when a company has 9,000 products, that's a freaking machine. You know, their sales, their manufacturing, their marketing, their advertising. And then you plug your product in that machine. It's amazing. You just need to make clear, you need to have an agreement on what they're going to do with it. Just because it's a, I'm, I'm going to see a BAS, a big ass company, you know, BAC, big ass company. Just because it's a big ass company doesn't mean they have big plans for your product. Most of the time, that'll be the case because they don't want to launch something little and niche. But you want to verify that. So you want to verify that you're really going to be plugging that machine, what kind of commitment they're making to you, what kind of minimum guarantees they're going to give you, what their plans are, what stores they plan on putting it in, what their feelings are about the product. So don't assume that just because it's a big company, they have big plans. It could be a really big company, but they got eh, mediocre plans. You could have a medium-sized company. It's got really good distribution, but they have big plans. They're super excited. They got big plans. And when you listen to their plan, you're like, well, that's bigger than that other company. You know, they're a bigger company, but this medium-sized company has actually bigger plans for my product. 
So hopefully that's relevant, but absolutely, you can do great with a company that has 9,000 products. Um, you can do great with a company that has 100 products. You know, it's all relevant. What are they gonna do with it? What are their plans? What are they gonna put behind it, you know? Um, Richard said, is it feasible to invent an exercise machine? Absolutely. Um, is it more involved? Is there more of a commitment on the part of the company? Like you got this like new spatula and they're like, okay, but you got this exercise machine that has all these parts. Um, that's more of a commitment. You know, they got to get their engineers on it and tweak some stuff in that you didn't tweak in and all that. But absolutely, you can license an exercise machine. Sometimes if it's not that different than what's out there, but it's a change that's relevant. And they're like, well, we make this machine here. We'll just modify that machine with your modification. So they look at it and go, okay, that's not too hard. Or maybe it's just completely new. And they're like, no, we can figure out some of these details with our engineers. So yeah, that's doable. But is it going to be a little bit more than a really, really uh, simple product? Yeah, it's going to be more to figure out, maybe a little bit harder to close. But of course, in more complex products, there's more things for them to think about. Um, so those deals, you know, they're making a bigger commitment and they don't want to make that commitment unless they can fulfill it. So, you know, you know it makes it a little bit harder to close. Um, and I'll give you an example of like a really easy product to close, like a cut and sew. Like if it's something that's cut and sewn, like they just have a die cut comes down and then there's people in Asia like sewing it. Like, wow, that's pretty fast to get up and running, pretty low commitment. There's not even an injection mold, you know? So those are kind of easy things to say yes to, right? Um, does that mean you guys should all do cut and sew stuff? No, not at all. It just is what it is. Um, so we got about five minutes left. Freddie said, sorry. Sorry, if you know the materials of your product and you know it will be manufactured cheap, would you need investors? No, when you're licensing it, the company you license to, you don't need to invest your money. They're investing their money and their workforce and their distribution. You don't need investors when you're licensing the product because they're your investor, right? Let's see. Huh. Yeah, Ethan said, I use ChatGPT to um gpt to is it gpt or bt i always forget gpt i guess pt uh to help write my script for the sell sheet video yeah interesting it, it could do some interesting stuff just what i always recommend if you use chat gpt for anything at this point because we're investigating more always look through it and go does that make sense don't just use what it gives you normally it needs to be fixed up um but it's it's kind of a trip it's a whole new world with the ai stuff uh raised rungs agility ladder wow that's their handle that's a long handle how about investment companies companies that want to invest in your product is that a good idea why do you need it when you're licensing you're it's much better than finding an investor if you find an investor what you're saying is i'm this little inventor i have no track history of business or a background in it but i want you to give me at least half a million dollars to start anything on a significant level so I can start a one skew one product company and I can try to talk to retailers that don't want to give me the time of day. I'm being sarcastic here. So you can try to do that and think, and it's so crazy that people don't understand licensing. You can try to start your own business. Why people would give you money if you don't have a background, haven't ventured a product before, I don't know. Why retailers should talk to you when you're one skew product, product company, you're not going to deliver on time, quality control issues, they don't want to deal with you. Now, if you license to a big company that they already have 15 products in their store, they know that company 
is reliable. They don't know you're reliable. So when you license to a big company that's in the stores where you want to be, it's their money, it's their workforce, it's their existing distribution, it's their existing relationships. So you don't need freaking investors, guys. Um, so hopefully that's helpful. Uh, uh, let's see. Adaptive and overcoming is their handle. It's not good at being creative or original. I think they're talking about chat GPT. GPT. Uh, good at normative modeling. Wow, okay, yeah, well, it makes sense. It'll be interesting. I, I think we'll probably be doing future YouTube shows and chat G GPT and the things that we're seeing that our students are using it for. Um, it, there's nobody that's doing more licensing than us and our students. So we'll we'll be doing some YouTube shows about that. You guys can check it out. As, but it's kind of early here. Um, but we're, we're having fun playing with it. Matt Lentz says, are there any tricks to licensing something to as seen on TV? Um, yeah, whole industry is just a trip. I mean, it's, it's not doing very well right now from what I hear. Um, do a video. Don't do an as seen on TV product without doing a video. It could be 30 seconds and it doesn't need to be great. So my advice is look at asking you on TV videos. It doesn't have to be cheesy and do a video that's short to the point, benefit solution, problem solution, that sort of thing. And always do a video. Now, a lot of as seen on TV products and people quite often think their product, getting back to our theme for today, common misperceptions, people go, well, I want my product to be as seen on TV. And I can look at as seen on TV a product and go, that is or isn't an as seen on TV product right away. Okay, I don't have time to go into that here, but um, sometimes I'm like, oh, that could be an as seen on TV, but you know, I could walk down the aisle and pick that up as well and I would understand it. Um, but some products are only as seen on TV. If you saw it in the aisle with the packaging, you'd be like, I don't know what this thing is. Then it's strictly as seen on TV, right? But if it could be recognized, under, you could understand the benefit of the products looking at the package or the advertisement. But I would say my advice is to model um, their advertisements before and after problem solution. Very important to do a video for with those. That's my biggest piece of advice. And don't just stick with the Asino and TV. There are only like four or five major Asino TV companies. The rest are like feeder companies. Um, so, you know, most of the time when I look at Asino TV products these days, I'm like, oh, that could, you could have a list of 30 companies and then you could have a list of five or six Asino and TV companies as well. Um, but I would always do a video if you believe it's an Asino and TV um, product. But sometimes I, I look at, I'm like, if you had a sell sheet, I know they could visualize the video just by looking at it. Um, let's see. Um, Pete said, could you talk specifically about the subject line and the header of the email? Um, yeah, I mean, you could just write, you know, product for licensing, um, something like that. Uh, that's fine. Uh, you could write product submission, product submission for licensing. Um, and I think that the body is very important too. Uh, I wouldn't go more than three or four sentences. And again, first email is asking permission to license, to send them a marketing piece and then you send the marketing piece. Do not solicit or do not submit, you can solicit, do not submit marketing materials without asking permission first. It's extremely unprofessional. Um, there's inventors flailing about posting it everywhere, posting it on Facebook, posting it on LinkedIn. Don't do that. Now, if you're venturing the product, selling yourself, that's fine. But if you're not, don't do that. It looks amateurish. 
And also, it's like, this isn't special. I'm not privately showing this to you and a few companies. I'm pasting the internet with it. That doesn't create a good impression. So um, I saw a student of ours the other day, and they had their product all over their LinkedIn. I said, you take that down. Um, I, people have this impression like people will beat a path to your door. Nobody's going to beat a path to your door. You need to put it out in front of people. And if it's something special that you're showing to them, that's much better. Um, uh, Henry said, somehow I missed my turn. I didn't see your... See Henry, if I saw it earlier, I didn't see. Oh, wait a minute. See, I was trip out if YouTube's not entering some folks. Let me see if I saw you earlier. Well, it doesn't matter. I'll move down to yours, Henry. Now I got to fight. God, there's so many here. Ah, where did I lose it? Poor Henry, I I lost him. Now I'm making you guys wait. What? The, where the hell did that go? Now I have to find Henry because he's going to be like, okay. Okay. Hi, Andrew. If I downloaded a blank copy, yeah, I got mixed in with everybody saying they could hear me now. Hi, Andrew. If I downloaded a blank copy of an NDA and made copies of it, would it be a legal document? Yeah, but it might be wrong. Um, so first off, to think that every company you approach, if you ask them to sign an NDA, you're going to feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall. Um, I don't have time for the whole NDA thing. Um, but yeah, it's a legal document. You don't have to have gotten a legal document from an attorney for it to be legal. You can download whatever, but it may be a crappy NDA. But this is the, the main thing I'll share with everybody, and then I'm going to call it a night. All our students file a provisional patent application. Then they reach out to companies. They don't insist every company sign their NDA. And again, the theme for tonight, common misperceptions. Oh, I have to have every company sign my NDA, but none of them want to. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> you know, you're saying, you've got your provisional patent. you got that placeholder. You have an email paper trail on what you sent them. Why are you insisting every company assign your NDA? I don't know, because inventors just think that's the way it should be. Who told you that? Now, again, everything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult an attorney for legal advice. I'm not telling you not to send one, but I'm telling you, your, your forehead will be bloody from beating it against a brick wall if you insist every company sign your NDA. That's actually fairly common in Europe. It's not common here in the US. You're saying, hey, I can't tell you what I'm going to send you, but whatever I send you, you need to agree to keep confidential. It's like, shit. What if what if we're coming up with something similar? Like you've got your provisional patent, your protection from that date. You've got the email paper trail. What are you worried about? Now, there's a whole long talk I could give about NDA. So, uh, Henry, I'm glad I, I caught that one. You got caught up in the we can hear you now thing, and I, I missed it. So, again, as I said before, I can never get to all the questions. If you show up earlier next Monday at 4 o'clock Pacific, I answered a lot of the earlier questions. Um, want to direct you guys to down below, please do me a favor. I answered an entire hour of your questions for free, okay? And maybe I didn't get to your particular question, but I think I gave good answers. Down below, give me a thumbs up. Do a whole bunch of things. Give me a thumbs up. Uh, 
subscribe, click on the subscribe button and click on the notification button. And um, I don't know when it's live. I guess you could set the chat. If you come back and you comment on more of our videos or this video, that would be great. Anything that shows YouTube that there's interaction is great. So please, that's all I'm asking. If you can't, like if every single person, I can't click on the, like there's 47 people on now. I think we had, what do we have? Like 60 at some point. Um, if every single one of you can't give me a thumbs up, that sucks. I mean, I see 30 right now. It should be at 48. Um, if you don't like me, don't listen and give me a thumbs down. But like we still have 18 people that are currently on. We have like 50 people on right now. And so we got 17 people that aren't giving me a thumbs up. Uh, that sucks. I'm kind of joking around, guys, but I'm kind of not. I'm like, geez, how hard is it to give a thumbs up? Don't be stingy with it. Anyway, that's the way you say, can say thank you to me. And if you don't say thank you, then you're giving me a little uh, an F you. But that's fine, too. <laughs> I'm just joking, guys. Um, so thank you so much, guys. I remind you guys, take care, keep inventing. Check out inventright.com. There's some free resources on there. Really cool. And if you need coaching and mentoring, we've been guiding students for the last 23 years. We have had students in 65 countries. We're really good at it. There is nobody better than us at it. There is no licensing question that can't come up, that would come up that we wouldn't have an answer to. So um, click on the contact us button. Talk to Sylvia or Dana if you're interested in getting some help. You might not even be ready yet. You just want to talk to them and say, hey, I'm not ready yet. Andrew said I can book anyway. So at least I know how you guys can help when I am ready. So take care, everybody. Keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you next time. See ya.